This podcast episode will be simply titled Scarlet Justice. This is a two-part series. I'm poor. Please don't laugh if I can't publish these as often. But I hope you enjoy this episode. I put my time and effort into these, and it would mean a lot if you could just listen every now and then. I don't care about anything else. Just, you know, pop in. Also, I'll be using some of my own characters. Um, Nick the Porcupine and quite a few others will be excluded due to fan fiction. Anyways, uh, enough of that emotional stuff. Let's get some fighting and action done. Chapter 1 of However Many. Everything was as it should have been in the bright, cold night of Scarlet City. Cars filled the city streets, building lights flashed in the dark, and far above, through the moonlit, cloudless night, our protagonist, the Red Knight, burst, parkouring through and across rooftops, ducking and weaving through girders and vents. He never once paused in his stride, because he had something incredibly important to attend to. Instantly, behind the mask, he looked into a monitor popping up on his screen. Ah, so that figures. Alex, answer. You got it, boss. A voice snapped to life through Oliver's headset, and from it, he heard his wife's voice. Ollie? The party's almost started. Everyone's here. Where are you? Cat, honey, I'm on my way now. Give me a few more minutes, I promise. Oliver flipped off the rooftop and snatched up a handrail on a passing hyperloop in the nick of time. He locked his magnetic boots into place, running with the current, and he continued the call. So, how's the whole team doing? Good, really good. Meanwhile, a few minutes outside the city limits, a shining mansion sat, crowned atop a hill overlooking the city skyline. Its driveway extended the whole way down the back of the hill, and one could drive up through various hedges and bushes. But inside, everything changed. Yes, the inside was what you would expect from a very modern, yet futuristic mansion. It was simplistic, but sitting around the banquet table in the dining room were eight armored figures, as well as a few unarmored people. And these people were Oliver's knights, the very best doing their very best. And they are Evan, a cobalt samurai, an expert historian. Susan, a skilled diver and theater fanatic. Will, an Instagram sensation and technician. Bryce, the speedster, and a beacon in the darkness when no one can respond. Madeline, a weapons lover and aggressive fighter. Gus, the heavyweight, capable of lifting ten times his own weight. He weighs 250 pounds without the armor, do the math. Anthony, the engineer and scientist of the operation. And Isabel, the fashion icon and pop star of the team. These eight misfitted but brilliant people were the ones who helped Oliver in his time of need. As the Red Knight, a guardian of more than just his own universe, Oliver accepted and found trust and aid in simple people from his high school. Now they all stood together, united as one, and inseparable to a fault. Each one carried and brought their own strengths and weaknesses to the table, and so each supported and laid down their own. But amidst this chaos, there were also lesser-known members, more wizards than knights, but nonetheless, they played just as important roles and some even happened to be descendants of the knights. And these people were Emerson, a sorcerer and owner of Colossus, a a gargantuan crustacean. Benjamin, formerly possessed by a demon, now an alchemist. Jade, Benjamin's son and a black magic wielder. Francis, son of Mike and Susan and a talented escape artist. And Mary, Catherine and Oliver's daughter, trained for combat and someday the Red Knight title. 
Okay, I think we've talked enough about the members here. This is more action, so I'll get back to the story. Oliver finally landed atop a building, facing out towards his mansion. He locked into the coordinates of his front door, then took a running start from the back and blasted across 250 yards clean over his gates, right up to his front door. Oliver performed a full three front flips, then hit the ground, dusted himself off, and stepped out of his suit. The suit closed up and formed his assistant, Alexander. Oliver grabbed a present from Alexander's hands and opened the door to see everyone already standing around the table, staring at him and applauding. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I'm late. Oliver sat down and Evan patted him on the back. So, what kept you? What's coming next? Evan was always ready for combat. The first of the knights, he swore allegiance to Oliver and prepared for anything. Nothing but business. The streets are jam-packed with Christmas coming up. Everyone agreed. In addition to the holidays, crime had slowly begun to increase. More and more, not just from the city, but from everywhere. It seemed as if every mafia and supervillain were trying to prove their place in history and take down the infamous Red Knight. But Oliver shook his head. Ah, that's not what we're focusing on tonight. Forget about crime fighting in action for just a second. Because tonight, we're here to celebrate Mary, my daughter, and her 13th birthday. Everyone stood up and applauded. Will silently snapped on his video recording, to which Bryce instantly turned off. Mary unwrapped her gift, which was a golden statue of her wearing some kind of futuristic armor. She looked up to her father. Wait, is this really... Oliver nodded. I think we'd better get you a new set of gear. Those wizard robes are nice, but... Oliver hefted up a briefcase, black and silver, and slid it across the table. Everyone was shocked to see Mary open the briefcase and pull out a sweater. But when she put it on, its red and black silk sliding effortlessly into place, she pulled the hood on, to which nanotech spread across and began to form links of armor. So when Mary stood up again, she wore a splitting replica of Alexander. Boots, gloves, chest plate, helmet, everything was there. Tears were streaming through Catherine's eyes, and everyone was cheering and yelling with shock. Oliver nodded. Welcome to the new age, Mary. I think we'd better get started real soon. Chapter 2 of 15 Meanwhile, let's introduce the primary antagonist of this episode. While every hero has their strengths and weaknesses, there is always someone who shall test those limits. To put it simply from another episode of my own, First Tale, for every positive, there must be a negative. So, and so it was that deep beneath the surface of the earth, an ancient evil, long dormant from the years of carnage leading up to 20 hyperlink disabled, finally awoke. Far away from the world, there was a cave. This cave was majestic beyond comparison, extending far above to its ceiling. Lanterns hung from the sloped and jagged pillars that supported the roof, and between these pillars were neatly seated temples and armories. Soldiers in polished steel and unirite rushed about from station to station. Unirite, if you must know, is the most powerful substance in this plane of existence. Kind of like vibranium or netherite, but this one is much cooler. Harnessed for its powerful absorbing properties. But within this cavern of temples and factories, there seated only a singular shaft of light pouring through from the surface above. And beneath the shaft of light was a throne ornately carved and detailed with warnings and legends of the destruction the man who sat upon the throne had caused. Shadow Dragon, King of Darkness, Lord of Nightmares, and a terror that even the oldest of historians and wise men would whisper of. His armor scraped and scratched from the blades of his rested foes, 
his helmet scarred and spiked with a five-pointed star atop the helm. And on his chest and arms were blades, varying in size but all more lethal than the last. The blades on his wrist gauntlets were especially dangerous. On charge, they had the power to cut through solid, foot-thick steel. But this was, of course, the moment. And everything seemed to stop when Shadow Dragon's topaz golden eyes snapped open. Weary, but open. Everyone stopped rushing about and looked to the god that they had worshipped. The chains upon Shadow Dragon's wrists and legs snapped off without hesitation, and he stood up, a shining black cloak growing from his spiked shoulder pads, and his helmet hiding his true identity from the world once more. One servant, a man named Vern, stepped forward, his armor resembling a much bigger version of the Dark King's own. My lord, are you all right? Shadow Dragon eyed the taller man suspiciously, and yet curiosity flared in his eyes. What is your name, soldier? Vern snapped too, kneeling. Vern, your dark lordship. I have anxiously awaited your awakening, as have many others. Shadow Dragon's eyes adjusted to the cold and dark, seeing the army of worshippers and foot soldiers who now supported his reign. Interesting. Quite, as any should say. Shadow Dragon stepped down from his throne and curled his hand into a fist, the gloves protruding spikes on his knuckles and gigantic razor blades from his gauntlets. He raised his fist high into the air and looked over his people, worshippers, monks, soldiers, and all. Let your weariness, cowardice, and your fears dissolve, my people. For years you have awaited this moment, as finally your king of nightmares has returned after years of slumber. Everyone cheered and yelled with eagerness and tone at this development. Shadow Dragon's wide smile of carnage flashed under his mask. He had been gone for far too long, and now he knew exactly where to go. He stepped down from the platform overlooking his kingdom, and he strode through the city of temples, eyeing the armories and soldiers who bowed in his name. There were forges, weapons of all shapes and sizes, though no weapon seemed to impress him. But best of all, after walking through the hallways, he was met with his own katana, Fang, displayed in a glass case lined with gold and black stone. Shadow Dragon opened the glass case and removed his sword, Fang. A blade capable of cutting rifts in reality, Fang was treasured by many and sought after by even the most valuable and experienced of treasure hunters. Shadow Dragon held Fang, if only for a second in hand, before returning it to the armor stand's grasp. Very well, then. Vern, I have but one question. Vern nodded, taking care to display his double long swords, signifying him as captain. Yes? Shadow Dragon turned, an air of genocide about him. Where do I start?